So I want you to read carefully with me out of 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20. And I want to start at verse 1. In fact, let's read verse 1 through verse 6. One time, 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1 through 6. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, son of Amaz, Bible says he went to him and here's what he said. Thus saith the Lord, Hezekiah, set your house in order for you shall die and not live. For you shall die and not live. And then he turned, that is Hezekiah, he turned his face toward the wall and he prayed saying, Lord, remember now, O Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth with a loyal heart. I have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. I don't know if you have a pen in your hand, maybe a highlighter, but I think that's a perfect place to, to underline the scriptures in the Bible. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. How did he weep? How did he weep? And it happened, the Bible says, before Isaiah had gone out to the middle court. And it happened before Isaiah had even gone out to the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him saying, return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer and I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. Would you say that with me? Surely I will heal you. Okay, so what did the Lord tell Hezekiah? Surely he would do what? He would heal him. Is that what your Bible says? All right. And so on the third day, you should go up to the house of the Lord and I will add, how many years does the Bible say? Is that what your Bible says? How many years? And I will add 15 years to your life. You don't have to turn to the New Testament, but just write down 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Most of you all know that scripture, but just go ahead and write it down for exercise sake. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear. But here's what God has given us. He has given us a spirit or he has given us power, love, and a sound mind. For God has not given you the spirit of fear. There's no need to fear death. There's no need to fear premature death. God has not given you that spirit of fear. Now, if you have a spirit of fear, it didn't come from the Lord. It didn't come from heaven and it certainly didn't come from the word. If there's some intrepidation, if there's some sense of phobia, if you find yourselves really concerned and overworried about cashing out too soon, that spirit came from the pit of hell. That spirit came from the devil. Now, I, I didn't say a curse word, did I, when I used the word hell, did I? No, I didn't, right? You know, there are a lot of pastors now that won't preach on hell no more. They don't lose no members. Uh, uh, there are pastors who don't want to preach about the devil. They, they, they're scared that people won't think that they're educated. But I believe that there is a devil. I do believe that Satan, uh, who used to be Lucifer, was one of the archangels in heaven. Gabriel decided to stay with the Lord. Michael decided to stay with the Lord. But Lucifer wanted the glory, wanted the credit, so he backslid. Not only that, but he was so influential as the music of minister, I'm not talking about nobody here, of course, but he took a third, the Bible says, of the heavenly host of angels with him. Those angels today are what we call demons and angels of darkness. And so here we are right now in this space realizing that there is a place called hell. 
All right. Hell is not a figment of your imagination. I know we grew up watching cartoons and the Looney Tunes and we thought hell was somebody with a red jumpsuit on with a pitchfork uh, or the devil was a, uh, somebody with a pitchfork sitting around in a place. But no, the Bible says that hell enlarging in itself every day. Every day, hell gets a little bit larger. Uh, nobody wants me to preach like this, but the truth of the matter is we've become so hyper-graced we become so casual and so comfortable with our teaching, preaching, and theology. Nobody's no longer scared or has a fear factor with living an unholy life and missing an opportunity to go to heaven, but yet go straight to... I'm not going to be long, I promise you. Thank you all, by the way, for being so time sensitive. And uh, I knew y'all was holding on for me, but uh, uh, thank you. I'm just going to leave it at that. So thank you, praise team. So, so, so here's my first morning mental motivational exercise. I want you to write down something right now. I want you to write something down. In fact, here's the question. Um, if you were in your very last days, if you, like Hezekiah, was told that you're about to die, Go home, get your, your affairs in order, and you're not going to live. I wonder, could you give three reasons why God should extend your life? Okay? I want you to write down three reasons, three arguments you would make. If you were told you have six months or less to live. And listen, I know this is not a comfortable question. Part of the campaign this morning was to be just a little bit uncomfortable uh, excuse me, to be a little bit comfortable with being uncomfortable. Death is a very uncomfortable subject to talk about. Death is a very uncomfortable subject to deal with. But I want you to think for the next few moments. In fact, you'll stay with me the next few moments. It will change your destiny. It will change your perspective. It will change your outlook on life. Give three reasons why. For those that are online this morning, for those that are watching the services on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook Live, good morning and welcome again. The question simply is this. If you knew that you were near death, and I'm not, I'm not going to be insensitive to the word COVID-19 or the virus, but right now there are a whole lot of people who would love to have this question addressed. If you knew that tomorrow, in fact, six months from now, you would not live, what three reasons would you give God to live, to extend your life? What would, you, what would your resume say? What would your heartbeat say? Okay. I've got two. I don't have all three, but I do have two. I've been thinking about this a long time. But what three arguments would you make? What three reasons would you give God to extend your life another 15 years? You know, we're in this pandemic. We knew that it would get worse before it got better. And if the truth be told, one of the many pains, or excuse me, one of the many pains of this COVID-19 pandemic season is seeing the sting of death. Seeing the sting of death. I'm probably right now averaging about two or three a week of somebody that I know. Somebody that I know probably on average two or three a week, or at least someone who's a dear loved one of someone, and they've passed away. And, and, and it's like many of you all, I'm now coming to the grips of recognizing that every time I hear something, it's just a little bit taken from me. Not a lot, but a little bit. A little bit is taken away from me. And it's, it's sad, it's discouraging. It's, it's almost deflating when you hear this. 
And this could be a, a member or a family member of a member or, or, or a distant loved one or friend. It could be someone that is, is in the national media, uh, an entertainment. It just takes something away that that person is no longer here on the earth. And many of you all have experienced, even in your own families, the reality of not seeing that person again, at least not here on the earth. And so the reality and the truth of the matter is it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. And I don't know if there is a scientific, uh, 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 perfect or, or mechanical way to grieve. No, no two grieving processes are the same. I want you to get a little comfortable just for a few moments with being uncomfortable. Because I want to talk to you about living your life over the fear of death. Living life over the fear of death. When I think about death today, I'm not just looking at physical death. But what about the death to dreams? Death to financial stability. Death to aspirations. Maybe for some in the room, it's, it's, it's a death to, to, to things that at, at one time were so vital. Right? So very vibrant, vivacious, and effervescent. The truth of the matter is, David understood a thing or two about death when he writes in Psalm 18, 4 and 6. The pains of death surrounded me, and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol, or the sorrows of hell, uh, surrounded me in the snares of death. You know what a snare is? It is a purposeful trap just for you. It is a purposeful, designed, custom trap designed just for you. So David knew what it was like to have to navigate through the many booby traps and the snares that were encamped just for him. He said, the snares of death have confronted me. But in my distress, I came to the worship services at the church. In my distress, I was on bended knees and lifted my hands and cried out to the Lord. And he heard me from his temple and my cry came ever before him. Personally in my life, I'm looking at Psalm 23. I think that Psalm 23 for me is one of the most challenging psalms to study in the Bible. Now, it's not the longest psalm, and it's certainly not the most unfamiliar psalm. In fact, what makes Psalm 23 challenging is it's too familiar. We can say it in our sleep. We can say it and know it without anyone quoting it. But there's a verse in Psalm 23, you know it. It says, yea, though I walk through the valley of what? The what? The shadow, not death, but the shadow of death. I believe we're in that valley right now. We see death on every side. And whether you want to acknowledge it or not, it takes a little bit out of you every time you hear about someone passing away. Right? You look at your financial portfolio, you look at, at your, 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 your going back to school to get that degree or going back, uh, starting that business, or, or maybe it's a family, maybe you got to encourage your child or your grandchild, but it's just something whittling away at you. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Maybe he understood what Timothy needed to understand. God has not given me the spirit of fear. Now, now, in this season of my life, when I'm reading Psalm 23, I'm trying not to read it as a pastor, as a, as a theologian, as a 2021 resident or citizen. I'm trying to read it the way David would have written, written it based on how he grew up. You got to realize the Lord is my shepherd. What does David know about shepherding? 
Before he became the king, before he became the warrior, before he became the psalmist, before he became all of what he became, he was an old ragged little shepherd boy on the backside of Bethlehem. So he writes about the God, our Father. And you know what? Just like I was a shepherd boy with these little sheep, not one of them had a need for anything. As long as I was around, no one of them hungered. None of them had to worry about protection. None of them had to worry about being watered. In fact, you led me, or I led them by the still waters and green pasture. Where are you going with this one? But there will be seasons in our lives where the shadow of death surrounds us. But you have no need to be fearful. You have no need to be overworried. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 9:27, and it is appointed for man once to die, then the judgment. Let me talk to you just for a few moments here. I know that we're super saved, super deep, super spiritual. I know we feel like, you know, we're invincible. And, you know, this, well, these young millennials, they, they, they blow my mind every time. They just, they, they ain't scared of nothing. They just feel like, you know, they're going to live forever. But the truth of the matter is the Bible makes it clear. It is appointed man once to die, then the judgment. And sometimes we don't want to realize the fact that, listen, this is no dress rehearsal here. You're not going to get a monopoly rolling of the dice, a get out of jail card, and you have another spin at this uh, in another lifetime. We're not Buddhist. We're not Hindu. We don't believe in karma. We don't believe in life after death. We're not the Egyptian pharaohs where we store for the next life and our soul can escape through the window, the pyramids, and we can have another. Oh, don't forget the test. Don't forget the jewelry. Don't forget the money because we're going to need this in the next life. There is no other life on the earth. The next life you and I will live is the life of eternity. And for those that chose the Lord, and for those that made Jesus their Savior, and for those that lived up right before the Lord, God will spend all of eternity with you, and you will spend all of eternity with him. But for those who did not make Jesus their Lord, for those who chose not to live a life pleasing to the Lord, for those who chose to live for themselves and live for the enemy, eternity will not be heaven. Eternity will be a place called hell. The pains of death surrounded me. The fear of ungodly men may be afraid but in my distress, I called on the Lord. Speaking of calling on the Lord, let's look back at Hezekiah. Uh, what do we know about Hezekiah? Um, I love Hezekiah, by the way. I have more respect, Elder Hunt, for him now than I did years and years and years ago. I just thought he was just another, you know, just, he's just another king. But no, no, no. Hezekiah actually did some pretty considerate things, or considerable things while in office. He's known as the great reformer. Not only a spiritual reformer, but he was a civil reformer. In other words, he has, the, he, has the, he has the responsibility to tear down the altars of his daddy. His father, Ahaz, the king, unfortunately did not walk as much with the Lord as his son Hezekiah did. So one of the first things when Hezekiah got in office was to tear down the Baal worship to tear down the gods of his father that wasn't pleasing to the one mighty Lord. He was a reformer, not just spiritually, but also, also as a civic and social leader. Not only that, but he reopened the doors of the temple. Remember now, the prior king, his father, nailed the doors of the temple. Wow, isn't that something? I kind of wonder today, do we have pastors who have nailed the doors of the house of God? They've nailed down the doors of access, of authority, and the anointing of God's people. But, but Hezekiah reopened those doors. Thirdly, he, the Bible says that he, 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 um, uh, he reinstitutes the Passover. Now that, to me, is very important. Remember now, we spent the last two or three Sundays talking about the Passover. You all remember that now. Israel was to get the lamb, slay the lamb, 
eat the lamb with instructions. And when the death angel passed over, right, God would protect Israel all while he judged Egypt. You know the story already. But what, what you have to remember is God gives explicit direct instructions to the fathers of Israel to always use this as a memorial. Every year you are to institute the, or remember or honor or practice or minister the Passover. What do we see Jesus doing in Luke 22? As a Jewish man, he takes his Jewish friends, they sit in a room and they have the Lord's Supper. But there was a period of time when Israel got away from the word of God. There was a season, obviously before Hezekiah, where Israel wouldn't honor the word of God. So one of the things Hezekiah did was reinstitute the Passover as a national holiday and thus ushered in a great revival for the people of God. Stay with me. I won't be long. Stay with me. I'm talking about death. Very uncomfortable, but I need you to get comfortable just for a few moments. Because the truth of the matter is, what we are experiencing, whether nationally or locally or even in our homes, is we are seeing the very shadow of death all around us. Okay? And if you hadn't said amen yet, maybe I'll take you down to Hezekiah's address. Because it was one thing for Hezekiah to witness this. It was another thing for Hezekiah to experience with other people in his family or friends or what have you. But now death comes knocking on his door. And again, the prophet Isaiah comes. Now that scares, the, that scares me more than you know. Because if evangelist so-and-so comes, I might be all right. If district missionary so-and-so come, I ain't gonna think twice about it. But if the prophet Isaiah came, uh, we got some problems. Because the man of God wasn't gonna come and bring the word of the Lord unless he had known that God has spoken. So Isaiah the prophet comes and says, Hezekiah, get your house in order, right? Get your house in order for you shall surely die. You shall surely die. I'm asking myself this morning, what does it mean for us to have our house in order? What priorities must change? I'm so glad the young people are here today. Because there's a lot of, 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 of pain and shame and hardship you can avoid at a young age if you'll hear the word of God and learn from the example, some good, some bad, of the older prior generation. By the way, let me give you my two real quick. If I was told that, that my days were numbered, Pastor Stephen, we love you, great guy and all that, but you got until March 31st uh, until you're gone. Oh, God, I don't, I don't like the sound of that. What excuse or what argument or what reason would I give to say, Lord, I need 15 more years? My, third, my first thought is, God, there are more souls that need to be saved. My second thought is, God, there's a generation. There's another generation of a legacy I've got to pass this to. Okay. Now notice, I'm not talking about paying off no loans. I'm not talking about going to Las Vegas. All right. All right. I'm saying, Lord, if you sow in your mercy, see fit. I want to make sure that this next generation, these young people, these young, young people, 
have a conviction and a commitment to serve the Lord. I'm still asking the question. I'm still waiting for number three. Right. For those that are online right now, maybe you've had a thought or two and I'd love for you to put it in the chat box. Put it in the chat box. Give me just, you know, something, nothing personal. Uh, I'm going to go and uh, tell my husband what I really did or my wife. No, no, we don't want that in the chat box. So, well, you know, um, I, I stole some money from the IRS and I really feel I need to. Don't say that on the chat box. Please don't say that. Right. But just, you know, just in, in theory, in general, what would what would you do? What argument? What reason would you give? Because this is real. And it is more pertinent and, and relevant today than it was this time last year. This time last year, last Sunday in January, we wouldn't have been having this conversation. Do you understand? Life and death are presented before you, Deuteronomy 30. Choose life that you may live, right? And so we got to become more intentional, more purposeful, more meaningful in what God has called us to do. Let me get up on target real quick. So, 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 so Hezekiah's days were numbered and life was quickly coming to an end. Uh, he's warned by the prophet Isaiah to go home and get his house in order. Now, before I left the house this morning, I had to, I had to uh, print out another article that I hadn't preached about in a long time. I said, God, this is going to be so right for this moment. And it's about a case study of a nurse from Australia. And this nurse by the name, by, by, excuse me, by the way, her name was Bronnie Ware. She did this really, really professional case study as a palliative care nurse. Some of y'all remember this a few years ago, 2017, when I preached this. But she did a very interesting read on the lives of people she was caring for in palliative care. In other words, they were in hospice, and, and, and many of them had 12 weeks or less to live. So she did a study of what their five biggest regrets were. Okay, I want to help you. I want to help you out. Please listen closely. Number one, and by the way, as a part of the therapy, she would ask about their regrets, about their lives, and what they would have done differently had they had another chance. Are you still with me? All right, let me give you these five real quick. Number one, many of them said, I wish I would have pursued my dreams and aspirations and not the life that others expected of me. Hmm? That, was, that was number one. According to Ms. Bronnie, this was by far the most number one common regret of all. Number two, I wish I didn't work so hard. I wish I wouldn't have worked so hard. In fact, watch this, man. This was the number one regret from every male patient that she had. Most of them believe that simplifying their lives or making better choices, they may not have had to have chased money so much so far. Number three, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. I like that one. If I don't get nothing else out of this study, this is the one I want. God help me to tell it like a T.I. is. Help me now. And here's why that's important. Because as she studied her patients, many of them equated the fact that they suppressed their feelings and suppressed their thoughts led to the expediting of their sicknesses. In other words, it was a buildup of a lot of bitterness and resentment which ultimately affected their health. Are y'all still with me? Everybody okay? Number four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Mm-hmm. 
Watch this. According to Ms. Bronnie, it all comes down to love and relationships in the end. Nothing else mattered to her more than patience. Excuse me. Nothing else mattered more to her patience than, watch this, than the last few weeks of their lives being next to loved ones and friends. Can I give you number five? I wish I had let myself be more happy. You hear me, young people? Happiness is a choice. I'm reading a book right now, uh, but it's, it's about a high-powered high attorney who had the money, had the glitz, the glamour, the Ferrari, the Rolex, the lifestyle, the, the everything he could want. Arrogant, prideful, and he had a heart attack in the middle of trial one day. And the, the doctor said two things. For the rest of your life, either you can continue to practice law or you can practice life. But you won't have both. More, the story is that he, he leaves, he quits the law firm, goes on this spiritual journey into, into India of all places, to the Himalaya Mountains. And the rest of the story simply is this. Find what it is that you are passionate and happy about doing. Find a way to make it happen. He trains the young attorney, and it's a, whole, it's a book about reflections and decisions in life and all of those different things. He sells all of the high cars. He sells all of the jewelry. He sells everything that once made him who he was for a very simple life of having peace, simplicity, and joy. I kind of wonder, is that what this COVID-19 season is some way indirectly doing for many of us? Kind of really reminding us of what really is the main thing here? What is it that really at the end of the day makes sense? My friends, my brothers and sisters, the Bible reminds us in Matthew 10, 39, he who finds his life shall lose it. And he who loses his life, for my sake, Jesus says, shall find it. I think this pandemic season has put us all into a, 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 a tailspin. But the good news about this tailspin, it leads you back to a place of making what matters, matters the most. I'm looking at half the church today who has lost a loved one in their family. I could go from section to section to section to section, here, there, near, anywhere between. Someone has lost a family member, whether immediate or in the family. If that is not a wake-up call to getting about the Father's business and finding out why you were created to put on this earth, I don't know what will. Let me finish. There are two things Hezekiah did, and because of that, he had two responses. So, so Hezekiah says, God, remember, remember. I've lived as upright as I possibly could. I, don't have, I won't go into all of the scriptures, but the Bible says that Hezekiah, <clears throat> excuse me, he, made a, he, he didn't make a pact with God, and, he, and here's where it gets really interesting, right? I, I would have had three points today, but I had to erase one of the points because it didn't set well with, my, with the Holy Spirit within me. I had to say my spirit. I, I don't like when people say my spirit say this, my spirit say that. We're not listening to your spirit. I need to hear from the Holy Ghost, all right? So my spirit ain't saying nothing. The Holy Spirit. So, so here's the thing. I kept trying to barter with God with that, third, that, that, that point. Well, God, maybe if I promise that I'll make more money, give to the church. God don't need your money. Uh, so I hope that's not one of your reasons to stay on the earth a little longer. Well, you know, I need to go and do X, Y, and Z. Well, he got 8 billion more folk in the earth he can raise up do what you say you want to do. You're not to cast me out. You're not the exclusive one who does what you do, right? Uh, so the reality is, 
I don't know if Hezekiah could have done anything. In fact, I looked and I researched, okay, what happened before this prayer and what happened after this prayer? And honestly, you, don't, you really don't see any activity from Hezekiah. So therefore, it kind of gives me the understanding and impression that there's really nothing you can say that you'll do. Because if, if anything, it sounds a little like jailhouse religion. You know what jailhouse religion is, right? You get saved in jail. You get spirit filled in jail. You want to save the world when you're in jail. But you ain't been out 36 hours. You back to doing your new loot and crude again. Hello? So that stuff really doesn't impress God. But here's what Hezekiah did do that I think impressed God. Number one, he passionately prayed and he petitioned with tears. Okay? So you want to be real cute and calm and real casual and, oh, I don't believe in his emotional prayers. Oh, I don't believe in shouting and dancing. Oh, that's for the heathens. That's just for the ignorant and, the, and, and, and uh, you know, the, 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 the basic people. You know, I'm, I've got a degree and I'm somebody and I live here and I wear this and I do that. You, you, listen, God knows exactly how to get you to shout and holler and speak in tongues when the time is right. All right. You think you've arrived. You think you've gotten to this certain level. You, 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 you let something really hit in the juggler vein. You let something really get that Achilles heel. You'll go to shout and hook a bucket of doing a funky chicken and everything else in the church uh, uh, and won't know how to explain yourself when it's all said and done. Right. He passionately prayed. How did he pray? He passionately prayed. And the Bible says he bitterly wept. Notice, notice what it says in 2 Kings 20. The Bible says, then he turned his face toward the wall and he prayed, saying, Lord, remember now, I pray how I have walked before you in truth with a loyal heart and how I've done good in your sight. And then he began to weep and cry. When was the last time you cried while you was in prayer? When was the last time you found yourself in worship? And tears were streaming down your face, not because of the guilt of sin or shame, but because he's just so good and you didn't know how to express yourself. He wept. He cried. And I, I know that we have to be social distance. And I understand we got to be conscious of the next door neighbors. And we don't want to make a whole bunch of noise and wake everybody in the house. But there comes a time. Daniel said, chapter 9, verse 3, that I set my face. I set my face face. In fact, he says, I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer, supplication with fasting, with sackcloth, and with ashes. So it wasn't his little media cute comical prayer to get through. But he got to a point where he put his head, he put his ears back, squared his shoulder, fell on his face, and cried out to the Lord. Think one of the joys of being in the Pentecostal charismatic vein and tradition, the holiness vein and tradition is we were not ashamed to cry out to the Lord. We weren't ashamed to run. There wasn't nobody chasing us. We weren't ashamed to hop and leap and jump like we're silly. But whatever thing that have breath, praise the Lord. Leap for joy and run for the Lord and have God thine own way. Now it seems like we get a little something, something and get a little title and get a little nice collar and a little big position and sit in a higher chair in the church. And, and I've been there too. I've seen it before. You got a whole room of bishops just sitting there on their phone and doing so much. Oh, I know, I'm going to lie. Hey, Facebook Live, everybody. Okay, let's keep going. And they doing this. They chewing gum. They knocked off sleep. But yet they want everybody else to praise the Lord. Huh? Getting mad, fussing at the people because they ain't praising the Lord, but yet you can't live, you can't have, raise your hand, you can't lift your voice, you can't do nothing. You saw all that, so, so brand new, can't nobody tell you nothing. Hezekiah wept bitterly. Watch this. And Isaiah, the son of Amaz, went to Hezekiah saying, thus said the Lord God, because you have prayed, because you have prayed, because you have prayed, God 
now sends his word. You have to believe that every time you pray, God's word is coming closer and closer to your situation. I know we have moments when it seems like nobody is listening. I wish somebody would say amen this morning. I know you have moments when it seems like God ain't listening, that he's busy with somebody else's problem. It seems like you're praying to yourself, praying to the ceiling, praying to the wall. But I need to remind every one of you that God is not forgetful of your labors of love. You got to be very constant. You got to be the faithful priest. You got to keep going to the temple again and again and again you know what this kind of wonder about Zacharias you all remember Zacharias right Zacharias was 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 the daddy of John the Baptist and and you know Zacharias grew up as a priest obviously and his 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 job description was to go to the temple every day to minister to the Lord now we know that when John the Baptist comes on the scene Gabriel the angel comes to visit John the Baptist right he says John excuse me he comes to visit um, um, Zachariah he says Zachariah you about to have a son and his name gonna be John you all remember the story he didn't believe it so his mouth got shut up and he couldn't speak he had to handwrite everything he believed and everything he wanted to communicate but watch this you know the question came to me how many years did John the Baptist excuse me did Zacharias go to the temple to pray and didn't hear a word how many I wonder how many months how many weeks had he gone to the temple and didn't hear a thing didn't see a thing can you imagine going to prayer day after day week after week month after month and now you get to a point in your life where you say God you are not obligated to answer my prayer you don't owe me a thing to prove that my prayer is getting to heaven can you only imagine how, 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 how shocked he must have been that day? It was business as usual, routine as usual, mechanics as usual. But on that day, Gabriel will be standing there waiting for him and he would deliver him a message. What am I saying this morning? I'm saying every one of you, you've spent a lot of seasons praying without any responses. You spent a lot of time requesting petitioning supplicating praying pleading crying and it seems as nothing has moved on your behalf but i want to remind every one of you that god has heard every prayer you prayed god has seen every tear you shed and when it is right time and in his perfect timing god will answer your prayer the bible says that isaiah said that listen when you prayed god sent his word you have to believe right now that even though you may not see a thing, even though it may seem like no one's listening, God is sending the answer for every prayer you've prayed. Uh, number two, realize this. He, the Bible says he placed his hope and trust in the Lord's sovereign will. Now, I, I got to inject this because that doesn't sound real attractive. I wish I could say that he promised God he'd do A, B, and C. I wish I could tell you that he told God, if you, if you give me some old time, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to make sure of this. But you really don't see that in Scripture. What you see is he's saying, God, to you, I put my trust and I put my faith in. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, you got to understand something right here. He doesn't barter with God. He doesn't bargain with God. He simply says, Lord, I've lived this life. I've done what you've asked me to do. And basically, I threw myself at the mercy of the court. I thought about what David wrote in Psalm 90. In fact, would you turn there in your Bibles? Turn to Psalm 90. You'll need it later this week. You'll need it later this week. Psalm 90, 
and verse 10. Psalm 90 and verse 10. The days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength, they are 80 years. Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. But who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us, so teach us, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The psalmist, wasn't David, excuse me, but the psalmist writes, the psalmist writes, God, you've, you've proverbially given us about 70 years. If we live right, if we eat right, if we exercise, if we do what's, we, we, we do the mere basics. You know, we're not jumping out of airplanes all day long, not cliffhanging, not jumping, jump, what's it called, jumpy, jumpy, bungee, thank you. We're not bungee jumping uh, every time we get a chance, uh, when we go out of town. You know, we, we just reasonably try to live safe. He said, you give us 70 years. And if we're really, really good, and if we're really, really cautious, maybe, maybe another 10 years to be added. He says, but at the same time, you are sovereign. You can do whatever you want to do, and, and can't nobody do nothing about it. He says, so the onus is, is not on a guarantee of 70 years or 80 years. The, the onus is, teach us to make the most of the time you've given us. And friends, I close with this thought. Make the most of whatever God has given you to live with. Lord, teach us to number our days. Teach us with wisdom to do the right thing, to say the right thing, to be at the right place. Teach us by the Holy Spirit, by the word of God, by elders and, and mothers and those who've been there, done that. As students in high school and junior high and elementary, help them to see our lives, living epistles read of all men, that they would have wisdom. You know, my pastor taught me years ago when I was 18 years old, a freshman at A&T State University, a young, dumb college student. He said, more demons come out uh, after 10 at night. And as basic and as elementary as that sound, he was right. You should be in bed at 10 or 11, 11.30, whatever. Uh, most of our horror stories we hear in our city happen at 1, 2, 3 in the morning. Your kids should be in the bed at 1, 2, 3 in the morning. In fact, you should be in the bed at 1, 2, 3 in the morning. Grandma? Hmm? Now you got grandmama with the child and the grandbaby, all three of them at the club off of West Boulevard. She got rollers in her head. The, the daughter there with her nightgown on. And here come baby girl at, at barely turned 18, probably 17 and a half with somebody else's ID. And all three of them getting their groove on. But yet, let bullets get to flying and some get to happen. She's going to be the first one on Eyewitness News telling everybody how the man did this and the man. Now, the man didn't do nothing. You should have been home with your child and your grandbaby. Now, when I was growing up, Derek, you're too young to remember this because you're, 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 you're a little young something, right? But when I was growing up, I remember the TV used to go off at 12 midnight. It'd be this big old circle there. And then they'd play the national anthem. And that was it. It used to be a screen after the news that said, uh, parents, do you know where your child is? Now we got to put up a screen saying, children, do you know where your mama at? Right? So more demons come out later at night. I, 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 you know, 
Okay, I got to be careful because I, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, okay, my wife said, be careful now, you know. So, so I sleep better when my kids ain't in the bed at home. Huh? I better leave that alone because I don't want to meddle. I don't want to meddle. So, uh, so, so, <laughs> so, so, number one, he passionately prayed and petitioned. Number two, he places his hope and his trust in the Lord's sovereign will. May your prayer this week be, God, help me to learn and teach me how to number my days. My wife and I are at a very critical intersection in our lives. We're pseudo, we're pseudo empty nesters. We love our greatest calling, which is our family. We also love passing this church. But so many opportunities have opened. So many doors have opened. So many crossroads, so many decisions. And now we're thinking about, okay, you know, what does the next 10, 15 years look like? I mean, we're 51 and we're saying, God, you know, what does life look like at 65? What will life look like at 80? And as I went back through these five regrets, I had to ask myself the question, which one of these regrets resonate most with you, if not two or three of them? And my brothers and sisters, I'm just simply trying to tell you to live life to the full. Don't leave no stones unturned. Don't live in a world of could'ves, would'ves, and should'ves, and regret. Learn to seize the moment. Make the most of every opportunity because tomorrow is simply not promised. Two things Hezekiah did. He prayed and he gave it to the Lord. As a response, here are the two things that God did for Hezekiah. Number one, he delayed death. He delayed death. Not because of Hezekiah's merits, not because of his intentions, not because of his future ambition, but he delayed death and he delivered him from sickness and disease. I know people are dying. I know we've seen some very sad stories, but my brothers and sisters, keep preaching faith. You gotta keep believing that God's a healer. You gotta keep believing that God will deliver. And it may not have happened for this situation, and it may not have happened for that situation, because God's will is ultimately the most important thing. I know we miss mama, and I know we miss our grandpa, and I know we miss our sister, but maybe God had a bigger plan for them in heaven. So who are we to question his sovereignty and his will? But it shouldn't stop you from praying and believing God for healing for the next situation. Deliverance for the next situation. Bible says, verse 5 and 6, Thus saith the Lord, the Lord God, David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, and I will heal you. On the third day you should go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life, right? I will add 15 years to your life. The psalmist said in Psalm 118, 17, I shall not die, but I shall live and I shall declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me sore, but he has given me or he has not given me over to death. Yes, the Lord judges. Yes, the Lord disciplines. Yes, the Lord chastens. But God will not deliver you unto death. You got to have a reason to live. You got to have a you got to have a motivation to stay on the earth. You got to have a reason to say, you know what? My best has not yet happened and on, on this side of the Jordan. And I know I'll get to the by and by and I'll go to heaven and we'll be in the bosom of Abraham and we'll be with the Lord all of the rest of our eternal lives. But while I am on the earth, I still got some children that need to be saved. I still got some debt that needs to be paid off. I still got some relationships that need to be reconciled. I still have some things that I want to leave on the earth. So God says, I'm going to delay death and I'm going to heal you of your disease. Second and final 
penalty, I will defend you. Oh, by the way, Hezekiah, God said, not only will I defend you, but I'm going to defend the city. Y'all don't think it's in the scripture, but let me read it right here. I will deliver you and this city. Say that with me. And this city. Come on, say it with me. And this city. You know what I heard the Holy Ghost say when I was reading this earlier this week? He said, do not count the city out. Do not count the city out. Now, that's a play on words. It may be a euphorism, but uh, let me prophesy. Do not count the city out. Uh, let me look at those that are online watching and some of y'all watching. Uh, do not count the city out because God made a promise. Not only would I heal, delay, and deliver, but... Kaya, I'm gonna, I'm gonna deliver you, but I'm also gonna deliver the city. Now, of course, he was talking about Israel and Babylonian territory, but let's fast forward about 5,000 years. I hear the Holy Ghost saying, I'm gonna deliver the city. My hand is yet upon her. My grace is yet sufficient. My anointing, my authority, the access, the power, everything that God has in store for you, I can do it in the city. Uh, uh, Hezekiah, realize one thing. I have seen your tears. Uh, you didn't think nobody saw you laying on the carpet in the sanctuary. Oh, Hezekiah, you may have forgotten this prayer or forgotten that prayer. But I remember when you were praying and agreeing and, and crying out to me. I heard every word. I saw every tear. May I remind every one of you on this Sunday morning, don't get in. Don't throw in the towel. God has a blessing. God has grace. God has an increase just for you.